I remember the first time I got to step in this pulpit as the pastor, like eight years ago almost, and I remember that I was talking with the Lord. I was up north, and I was in a really beautiful place, and I was thinking about coming here and the privilege of being the pastor here and the privilege of standing in this place and preaching the Word, which is what I really dreamed about since I was a little boy. And I was preaching the, and uh, pastoring the church. I remember walking around that lake and saying to the Lord, Okay, Lord, the first thing I'm going to do when I get in that pulpit is I'm going to stop and pray. And I'm going to thank you that I get to be there. And this morning when I got out of my car and I turned around and looked at the building and I thought about what we would be doing here in a, a little while, I had this overwhelming uh, reminder of that, like what a privilege it is for us to get to be together and for, for me to get to be your pastor. And so let's just um, let's talk to the Lord. I want to thank him again. Lord, I do want to thank you and praise you and give you thanksgiving for the, the, the beauty of the, the church of Jesus Christ that was such a neat idea that you, that you had and that all around our area are people who love you and who are preaching the same gospel in many cases and, and all around the world. And today we want to thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, that we can open the word of God and just kind of feed the people and, and uh, minister to them. Thank you, Lord, for letting me preach today. Thank you for letting us be here. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer we are talking about knowing God by heart, and I hope that it's been helpful to you to have these talks really about the attributes of God, what God's like, and then how they apply to you personally in your fellowship with the Lord, and you're, and you're knowing God by heart. And, and, uh, and we laid the series out ahead of time in the spring, and what messages we would preach on what days. And Pastor Lounsbury and I work together so that the, the, the musical worship and the prayer worship and the giving worship and the preaching worship all kind of go hand in hand. And, and, uh, and, and it's amazing this summer how things have landed on certain weeks, what God has done. And yet this week, when I went home from church last Sunday night, God started doing something in my heart. And so this is less a teaching of a particular passage of Scripture and more me opening my heart and telling you what the Lord did on my heart. And I suspect that when he does something in my heart, he's doing something in your heart. And let's see, you know how that is. If you're married, you sometimes think, I feel like the Lord was telling me this, and your wife's like, yeah, and he was telling me that. Usually he's telling her first, but, right? And, and then, uh, and that's the way it often is. That Let's just see if that's true today. So today we talk about knowing God by heart through prayer. Knowing God by heart through prayer. It would be silly, wouldn't it, for us to say, here's how you know God by heart, and never talk about talking to God, never talk about prayer. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, knowing God by heart through prayer. I believe the Lord has put that in my heart in a really strong way, in, in an insistent way. We'll talk about that, and then, Lord willing, you know, next week, and we're going to talk about the justice of God, which is often not talked about. The beautiful, one of the most beautiful things about God is His perfect justice. So, so next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the justice of God, unless I change my mind. And then the, the last week in the series, uh, a big word, immutability, that God never changes. One of the most wonderful things about God is he's good and he never changes, and he's never going to change. And what does that have to do with us? Well, there's one unchanging thing. So that's what we'll talk about. That's the summer for us. Then in September, and I want you to work with me on this. Let's work together, okay? You, you look around and you, 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 ever, you ever notice there's people that might be missing, and maybe they're in another church and that's fine, but, but if they're not, you know, and they're missing, and you think, well, where, where are they? Well, 
Do you ever have a time in your life when you kind of got spotty about your church attendance? Anybody like that? Maybe that was a dangerous time for you. Maybe a little one came along and you got distracted or maybe work was really hard and you just had very little time and you just were crushed by that. And if you think, if you look around and you think about somebody who, who's not here, maybe they could be, then they don't need you to badger them. Nobody wants that. But they do want to know you cared about them and that you missed them and that you love them. And that would be a great thing to do just to say, hey, let's have coffee or is there anything I can do? You've got to be really gentle at a time like that. Or people, if they're already feeling a little bit guilty and then you push on them, they're going to, they're going to feel like you're being pious with them. But, but if you just really love them and you care about them and you notice they're missing, I would just share that ministry with you. Let's do that together. And, um, and, uh, and just think of somebody. And matter of fact, that'd be just a super ministry this week. Many of you do this already. But you think about somebody you haven't seen for a while and just like, um, you know, hey, just want to let you know I care about you or give them a gift or make them a pie or, you know. Isn't that a good idea? That's what I thought. Pie is always a good idea. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to give you some ammunition that you can work with. Uh, and a lot of people are really interested in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And we ought to be. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that should really interest us, right? Jesus Christ should interest us. And the Revelation, Apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus. Jesus unveiling so we are, uh, Lord willing, going to begin on the first week in September. I think it's the third. We're going to begin to preach through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to preach every, every bit of it. And what we're going to do between, um, between September and Christmas is, the, is we'll do the seven, we'll preach about the seven, the messages to the seven churches. Which is really just fascinating stuff. And it exalts Jesus on every page. So what we're going to really do is worship our way through the revelation. Those of you who love Jesus right now, your heart's beating a little faster, isn't it? You're going, yeah, I like that. Sunday morning, you get up and you think, have your coffee and let's go to church because we're going to worship our way through the revelation. It's going to be awesome. I'm ahead of you on this because I've been reading and studying and preaching. Preach at camp on some of that, you know, some of the kids. And on Friday night, Saturday night at camp, I said to the kids, I'm going to explain the book of Revelation on Saturday night. That sounds so pretentious, doesn't it? But you really can because there's a singular gorgeous theme in Revelation. So why am I telling you? So that you'll be all excited about it, A, so that you'll be reading the Revelation ahead of time. There's a blessing uh, for, for those of you who do that. Um, and, and most of all, because I'm giving you a tool to use, right? How many of you know somebody that might be interested in hearing what revelation means? Raise your hand. Like, yeah, most people were like, what does that mean? It's like, tell them your pastor's going to explain it all. Well, you know, to the best of his ability. Um, but we are, we're going to explain it. And it isn't really difficult to see the main, the heart of the revelation is really just beautiful. Anyway, that's, that's what we're doing, Lord willing. If he gives us the strength and doesn't change our mind, we're going to preach through the revelation. We'll take a break at Christmas and do a couple of messages that are, you know, aimed at Christmas time. Then we'll jump right in and we'll be in the throne room of God in chapters four and five. We'll be going then through what we believe is a description of the tribulation and chapters, you know, six through 19. We'll talk about the return of Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and, and it will be, won't it be a, that'll just something to look forward to. And I tell you that because I really think you can invite others and say, hey, come to church and let's and bring your Bible. The pastor's going to be explaining Revelation. And it won't be like a dry teaching thing. It'll be a worship through Revelation. Everybody excited about that? Yeah. As excited as Baptists get. You're like, oh. You're like, well, it's not like the, 
It's like the Lions won the Super Bowl, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. All right. So here's my simple two-point message today. One, let me tell you what God's been doing in my heart this week. That's going to be point number one. I'll explain it to you, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Second, I'm going to ask, has God been telling you that same thing? And that's it. So that's all I'm going to do today in 40 minutes. That's all it'll take me to do that, yeah, or less. All right? So I'm going to tell you what the Lord's been doing in my, in my heart. Last Sunday night, it was a good Sunday. It was a beautiful Sunday. You were so responsive uh, to the teaching, and we talked about the goodness of God, and you just can't know. God just exploded goodness into my life and Lois's life last week in such a powerful way. I, I can't even explain it to you. Uh, showing answers to prayer, showing his goodness in our life. And we just like, I just want to worship him all the time for what he's been doing in my life. And then, um, and Lois and I both just humbled. It was kind of cute because I set Lois up last week. I gave an invitation. She doesn't like going forward in the invitation because she's private and quiet. And she loves it when I talk about her publicly. And, um, but I said, if God's been good to you, why don't you come forward? And, and I was like, kind of like, I knew she couldn't stay in her pew. I just knew it. I'm like, after church, she goes, you set me up. I go, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to see you down there telling God how grateful you are for him. And she couldn't not say thank you to God last week. Just amazing. And I heard from so many of you that God has been good to you too. And I know that some of you and some of our members, maybe even some who aren't here today, are, are wrestling with that. Is God really good? And my life is hard and things are, and, and they need to know that God is good. So we talked about that. Now, but this week, we had a beautiful day, and then, and then, you know, Sam Arndt preached last Sunday night, and it was so cool to hear him preach. You just could tell that, you know, he's got this, he's growing in the Lord, and it's polished as a, as a pastor, and as a speaker, and his training, he's got good training, and, and he preached last Sunday night. It was a good day. So, it's a beautiful night, and I'm out on the porch, and I'm thinking about the day, and I'm, I'm kind of asking the Lord, Lord, you know, I would love to see an increase in our church. I would love to see us be able to reach more people. And I would love to be able to see our people increase in holiness. More young people who are on fire for God. More dads who are leading their families spiritually. More moms whose hearts are tender for God. I'd love to see an increase in people who pray. An increase in holiness. An increase in baptisms. An increase in people coming to Jesus as their Savior. I mean, not just like switching from one church to another, you know, but lost people that get saved, you know. And so I'm on the porch, and I'm thinking about that and praying. And it's almost like, if you can understand, God does not speak to me audibly, but I, but I have impressions that are consistent with the Bible. And I'm like, that's, and you kind of, kind of, if you walk with the Lord for a while, you're like, that's, that's the Lord is, I believe, communicating to me. And, and if I was going to say it like a dialogue, it's like, so Ken, you know, what do you depend on for the increase in the church? And then I know the Sunday school answer for that is you, Lord. And he goes, okay, yeah, but, but what do you personally do then? What do you think you do? And I'm like, well, preach, of course, and talk a lot. Because that's what I do if you know me. You know, if you're in trouble, I'll come and talk. <laughs> I'll talk to you. You'll be like, go away. I don't need any more talk. You know, you'll get plenty of talk from me. So I, I kind of tend to fix things by talking. Chuck, am I right about that? This young man has heard me talk a great deal. Amen. That's why he's the fine young man that he is today. <laughs> he's about 18 years old. He said, Dad, can I talk now? You've been talking for 18 years. You really did. He did really say that kind of like that. He's like, I just need to talk. I'm like, well, since I've been talking for 18 years, I suppose I should listen to you some now. And the Lord says, you know, kind of to my heart, it's like, well, you know, you know, I like your preaching too, but 
<laughs> some of this passage. Look, look in your Bible in 1 Corinthians 3. I, brethren, cannot speak... This is 1 Corinthians 3, 1. I, brethren, cannot speak to you as one, as the spiritual people, but the carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. In other words, you're, you're kind of babies, he's saying. You guys are not grown up yet, is what he's saying. Okay, track with me on this because it's going to hit kind of close to home in a minute. You're still carnal. He goes, how do you know you're carnal or like you're, you're still kind of fleshly? You're still, you're still not very spiritual. Be- because there's envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know, when one says, I'm a Paul, and the other says, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? I was like, this is my favorite pastor. This is my favorite pastor. Like, serious? Grow up. That's what he's saying. You need to grow up. Yeah, you never did that, right? <laughs> uh, then he says, if one says, I'm of Paul, and the other says, I'm of Apollos, this just shows your babies. You're not carnal. Who then is Paul, who's writing it? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And then here's the profound thing. I planted, Apollos watered, and then what? God did what? God gave the increase. So it's like God says to me, Ken, the increase isn't going to come because you talked faster. The increase isn't going to come because you told better stories. And I'm not going to stop telling stories, just so you know. And, but Jesus did that. But that's not the power of God. The increase isn't going to come because your heart is sincere, Ken. The increase isn't going to come because you kept yourself pure, Ken. The increase isn't going to come because you worked hard, Ken. I give the increase, and you have to ask me for it. And you don't ask me for it that much. That's what I heard. You spend more time in your sermons than you do praying. I'm just, this is true confession, morning. You spend a lot of time tweaking that sermon. You spend a lot of time finding just the right way to say that. You spend a lot of time finding a story that goes with that to illustrate that. And you're depending on that more than you're just asking me for my blessing. That's what I heard him telling me. I'm like, no, that's not true, Lord. You go, yeah, it is true. It's like the dialogue kind of like that. So the next morning I get up, I make a hospital call. And while I'm in the hospital, I realize there's somebody in the hospital whose name I forgot. I'm like, oh my goodness, I should know their name. That's awful. The Lord's like, well, if you were praying for them every week, you wouldn't have forgotten their name, would you? Those people have been listening to you preach for eight years and you don't remember their name. I'm like, Wow. So I call Candy Swift at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. I'm telling you all my heart here, and you can, like, gossip about me now if you want to. All right? So, but I, I call her, this Candy Swift, and I go, I forgot the name of that couple. She told me right away. I'm like, oh, you're right. So then I went and acted like I knew them. <laughs> They're here now, so they probably don't want to talk to me after I'm done. To... They're like, I'm like, I said, Lord, I will never forget their name again. But I felt like the Lord was saying, if you prayed for them every week, you would remember their name. Can't say you love people, but you don't remember their name. That's what he's telling me, right? So I said, so you want me to spend more time praying for people specifically? Yes. So that's just a confession of sin and pride on my part that I think I can accomplish through my fast talking and my enthusiastic preaching what really only God can do through prayer. You ever notice when God speaks to you and you ask him, well, remind me that he'll, he'll, he'll confirm it. So the next morning I'm getting up and I'm walking and I'm listening to Francis Chan 
Francis Chan's a good guy. He's a preacher and solid guy. I'm listening to a message by Francis Chan. I'm walking around the pond and listening on my little Bluetooth thing. And all of a sudden, he says exactly that. I want you to hear it. Because he says, this is like, so Monday morning, I, Sunday night I get this hunch from the Lord. Monday morning I get beat up by God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I love you. And then Tuesday morning, Francis Chan is in my ear on this, literally in my ear. You want to hear it? So you may not like my message, but Francis Chan's going to preach for a minute here. So you'll like this. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that prayer. When's the last time you prayed anything remotely close to that for someone else? Been a pastor for almost 30 years. I don't hear people praying like this. I hear, oh, I pray for Susie, her foot hurts. I don't hear this. For this reason, I bow before the Father. Okay, when's the last time you, you if you're a Christian leader or, or you're under a Christian leader, when's the last time you just heard someone say, man, I want you to know, I got on my face. I was like bowing before God. I was praying on behalf of you that, that you from the inside out, like you'd be so strengthened in here. You'd be like rooted in this love of Christ and, and that you would get how big this thing is. I was just on my face going, God, please, they got to know, they got to know, they got to know. When's the last time you did that? I just told my pastors, you know, I I run a network. uh, We just started a network of these house churches. And I I tell my pastors, I go, look, if you're not praying for your people by name, then don't do anything else. Okay? I would rather, don't, don't even work on your lesson, don't work on whatever. Like the first thing, I mean, what if you had, I go, think about, imagine you went to a church you know, and, and, and your pastor was a terrible preacher, boring as heck, everything else, not a great leader, but you knew that he got on his knees. Like he had such a connection with God. You go, man, that guy up there knows God. And he gets on his knees every week and begs God for my heart, my soul, and he prays for my kids by name, that they would be just deeply rooted in love. You know, with tears in his eyes, he's begging God for that. I go, isn't that the pastor you want? Where do you go, man, he knows him. He he has such a connection with him. And then he thinks to get on his knees for me. I go, look, you guys, if you're not going to do that for your church, I don't want you to be one of our pastors. Yeah. So you can imagine how convicted that made me feel. And so I said to the Lord, yes, sir, I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray all week. Praying all week. And my messages aren't, maybe I won't spend as much time on the message preparation, I spend more time just talking to the Lord about, Use whatever it is I say. 
prayer is a duty, but prayer is a privilege. And prayer accomplishes what nothing else can do. And prayer is evidence that I'm depending on the Lord. I think it was John Piper said, Facebook is going to be God's evidence at the judgment seat of Christ that God's people really did have time to pray. (laughs) And God can be irritating, can't he? I'm reading a book this weekend. It said Christianity is advancing all over the world. Advancing. You realize 70% of the people who have ever been called Christian in the history of the world have been saved since 1990. But that's because Christianity is exploding in Asia and Central America and China, you know, of course. And, and there's, there are only a handful of places where it's not growing. It's growing in the Middle East under that horrible persecution. Exploding. Not in Western Europe. Not in Japan, not in the church in America, not in Australia. They say, why? It, well, I don't know. They, they, the, the guy who wrote the book said, it's interesting, though, that when you look at Christianity around the world, in its expressions around the world, where it's growing, there's one thing really different about it than in North America or Western Europe, and that is the priority that they give to prayer. Like in Korea, when they're up every morning and, and they're praying. Dr. Uh, Bill Thrasher at, at Moody, he, he said he had... A student that came to him and said, I feel like God is burdening us to get up and pray early, you know, every morning. And so the guy started his prayer meeting and kids started coming to this prayer meeting. And I said, was he from Korea? He said he was. That's what they do in Korea. They have some churches of 500,000 in Korea. You know, it wouldn't be something that's that simple. It's like we're just talking to things, to beating them to death talking. And he says, I want you to talk to me. I want you to ask me for that. And so this is what he was telling me. Prayer is, is evidence of uh, an expression of, of intimacy with God. And you say, well, pastor, you're telling me that you, you're my pastor and you weren't praying? I'm like, well, no, no, no. I, praying, I was praying all the time. Pr- praying regularly and, and, and systematically. Yes, I, I was praying. But it's a little bit like this. You know, the farmer, there was a farmer who didn't know the Lord, but he went to church. And every Sunday he went to church. True story. And every Sunday he, his boy noticed that his, that he would get his wallet out during the message. And they had the offering at the end of the message. And he would get his wallet out during the message. And he would take a dollar bill out of his wallet. And he would fold it and fold it and fold it. And then after the message was over, they would take the offering. And he would put the dollar in the offering. And he did it every week for years, he was very consistent in giving every week for years. One dollar. I hope you know what's wrong with that picture. It's not enough. I was kind of hoping you guys would have responded to that a little bit better. Like, you're supposed to give more than a dollar. That's what I'm saying, right? A dollar. So is he a giver? And he said, yeah, I was a giver. I gave every week. A dollar. So, you know, there's praying, and then there's praying. There's giving, and then there's giving. It's like, like saying, I'm praying. Okay, you pray for your meal. But do you get a hold of God? This is what the Lord was showing me. I just know he was. And if you look in the Bible, you're going to notice a number of examples about prayer and knowing God. Like Solomon. And you can look this up, and you can study it. In, in 1 Chronicles 5 and 6, and 1 Chronicles 5, uh, Pastor Stephen, you'll, you'll know, that's the music part. And like They're just like organizing all the music and setting the scene for the worship of God, the tabernacle. And then that's chapter 5. You read that. It's just amazing. Instruments of all kinds. Really a lively worship that was, was going on in, in music and organizing that. And then, and then in chapter 6, it's the dedication of the, of the temple. In chapter 7, the glory of God falls. And if you study in 1 Chronicles... 
um, chapters 5, 6, and 7, you see the priority and the importance that God gave, that Solomon gave in the dedication of the temple to prayer. And, and, and then the purpose of that temple was to, to have a place for prayer. It was, it was the purpose to have a place for prayer. And, and you see it all over in chapter 6 of Second Chronicles, you know, in chapter 6. Uh, and, and, and he, in verse 13, he says, he stood on this thing they built, knelt down on his knees, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, God of Israel, there's no God in heaven or earth like you, keeping your covenant and mercy who, uh, for those who walk with you, with all their hearts. You kept, you, you promised your servant David, my father, you kept what you promised. You both spoke into your mouth and fulfilled with your hand as it is this day. And he, and he thanks God for his promise. And then he says in verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens can't contain you. And how much less this temple that we've built. But, but it's the place where, we're gonna re, where you will regard our prayers, is what he's saying. But we pray, you said, if we pray here, you'll listen to us. If we stray from you and we pray, you'll listen to us. If we have enemies and you, and you pray, we pray, you'll listen to us. If, we, if our crops fail and we come here and pray, you will listen to us. If we have depression and, you, and we come here and pray, you'll, you'll listen to us. If our kids stray away from God and we come here and we pray, God can act to move upon the hearts of people when we can't control, you know, things. And, and on and on he kind of goes in the, in the text. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah sees that the, the city is in ruins. God's city is in ruins. Temple and city are in ruins. So what does he do? Read it in Nehemiah 1. He mourns and he weeps and he fasts and he prays. It's not just a little candy apple thing. He's seriously praying. He's really crying out to God. Daniel, when he sees that they're in Babylonian captivity, in chapter 9 of Daniel, an amazing prayer. Read it. So I'm asking myself, I pray, but do my prayers look like Nehemiah? Do they look like Solomon? Do they look like Daniel? I remember Daniel, he prayed faithfully. He prayed fervently. He prayed regularly. He prayed so frequently, everybody knew that he did it. They made a law to catch him. And it says in the Bible in Daniel chapter 6, I think it's verse 10. So he went back and he prayed three times a day, as was his custom from the beginning. You want to know why God used Daniel in a powerful way to shake the kingdoms of God? Because he prayed regularly and they knew that he was going to pray. And, And so they caught him praying. He was guilty of praying. What would happen? You know, we want to get all up in arms about the Supreme Court. What would happen if somebody said, you can't pray? It's like, it doesn't matter. We don't pray anyway. What if they say, you can't come to prayer meeting? What if they said, you can't be in a small group? You can't. There's, you have those grow groups that are against the law. You can't go pray in a grow group. Can't do it. It's against the law. You'd say, I'm a gun-toting American. I'll go to prayer meeting if I want. Is that what it's going to take to get us to go to prayer meeting? Is that what it's going to take for get us to get excited about getting together with God's people and praying and crying out to the Lord for only what God can do? Will it take that persecution for us to do that? I wonder. And so God is telling me, Ken, you, you don't pray as often as you should, as much as you should, for as many people as you should. You've been telling people that Operation Evangelist, get two or three people that you think might. He said, I want you to start praying for dozens of people, not two or three. I want you to remember people's names, your waitress and people, and write their name down and then pray. I had a friend of mine say to me, he was, at a, he was out and a lady walked up to him. She goes, you don't remember me. He goes, I remember you. She goes, no, you don't remember me. He goes, I remember you. Your name is, I think he said, Cheryl, and you have a son named such and such and another son, and you have battling cancer. She goes, how did you remember that? That was six months ago. He says, didn't I tell you I was going to pray for you? I prayed for you every day. 
What kind of a ministry would it be if we didn't do anything, but we just loved people sincerely, and we said, how can I pray for you? And we remembered their names, and we actually prayed for them. And you write their name down, and you prayed, and say, God, I can't control people. I shouldn't. You can't control. Are you married? Are you married? You know you can't control people. You get your wife to do what you want her to do? No, you don't. You say it's okay what she did. That's a little humor there, right? My wife does exactly what I tell her to do. I find her, what do you want me to tell you to do? Then I tell her. Then she does what I tell her to do. That's a joke. I'm just being funny. That's so funny. I was like, you, you, you don't see the humor in that. She wanted to buy a, a green VW. She bought two cars before she bought the green VW. And I, I figured out, if a girl wants a green VW, get out of her way. Just let her get the car. I enjoyed that more than you did, but... It's like, I'm having fun. Anyway, you're crabby, but I'm having fun. <laughs> the early church prayed. The early church was born in a prayer meeting. Born in a prayer meeting. They, they, didn't, they weren't born in a preaching meeting. They were born in a prayer meeting, and the preaching was powerful because they prayed. They talked to God. Isn't that interesting? In Acts chapter 1, they got together. They prayed. Paul prayed amazing prayers. Jesus prayed all night out in the wilderness, often, over and over again. He's God, and he prays. If Jesus prayed all night, why do we think we can do his work without praying, see? So this is what God was telling me. I know that he was telling me this. Why do we think you can do God's work and see an increase just by talking more or preaching better or being more enthusiastic or being more sincere in your heart when you need to ask me fervently and continuously to bless and do the things that only I can do? That's what he was telling me. So now here's my question to you. Enough of this me being under conviction. Let's get you under conviction for a while now. Let me ask you. Is God telling you the same thing? Anybody? Is God telling you that same thing? You pray. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Do you have things in your life? What do you do when you need to make things happen besides pray? What do you depend on? What is your point of pride where you say, with me, it's like I talk. (laughs) I talk stuff to death, you know, or that's my gift. You know, I use that gift. God says, fine, I gave you the gift, but I don't, I, I have to empower that, right? See that? What do you do? I, I forgot to advance my slides. There you go. What part does prayer play in your marriage? Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for your husband? Sincerely, faithfully. Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you know their names and pray for them? Did, what, what part does prayer play in your work? What part does prayer play in your ministry in the church? L- let me ask you this. What do you do more? Complain about stuff you don't like or pray about stuff you don't like? That's a thought-provoking question, isn't it? I wonder if we just took all the complaining and just made it prayer, how much more powerful would our church be? I think I'm just going to pray instead of complaining. You know, it's a thought. Do you attend a prayer meeting of any kind? Are you in a prayer? Are you in a prayer meeting, or are you in a prayer circle, or a prayer trio, or do you have a prayer partner? Think about that. Uh, do you have a list of people that you pray for? Do you even pray for all your family members regularly? Are you in a prayer group? Why not start one? Do you, do you watch or listen to messages or read books about prayer? The Bible says the two key jobs of a pastor, according to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, are the ministry of the Word and getting people to pray. The ministry of prayer and the Word. Remember, they, they had the deacons that they assigned to the waiting of tables so that the ministers could attend to 
to arranging the prayer and the ministry of the Word. Because our job as pastors is not just to minister the Word, but to arrange, to, to get people to pray. So this is, you're going to see this. So let's pray. So that God will bring unbelievers to faith. So that many who don't follow Jesus right now will start following Him. So that those who strayed away prodigals will return under powerful conviction. So that we will see the beauty of God's holiness in our lives and in the lives of other people. So our young people will flourish spiritually. And, have, and so people that are depressed and sad will be happy. You know, so people that are, that are in bondage to lust will be set free. So that people that are on drugs will get off drugs and be free of that. So that marriages that are troubled will be helped. We have a lot to pray about when you think about it. So that laborers would go into the harvest and so that we could give money to the laborers who, who go into the harvest so that we could pay the bills around the church so that people would have heart and mind to work for the Lord. But that we would pray so that we stop this silly business of just like shuffling sheep from one church to the other and calling it church growth. That's not, we're kidding ourselves. It's just not, the, you know, it's just like smorgasbord. It's like, uh, it's like cafeteria. I'm going to go over here because they have a plate. I like better the atmosphere over there. The music is over here. The music is over there. And the world's just burning down around us. And people are going to hell all around us. And people are totally lost. And they look at us and go, they just can't get along. Why would I go fuss with those people? But what, would, what if God's people decide, you know, enough of that. What we're going to do is we're going to do like you did in the New Testament. We're going to get on our knees and pray. We're going to ask God to pour out his blessing. And we're not going to stop doing that. We're not going to do anything else. That's what we're going to do. Wouldn't it be something if we learn to be a praying church? Let's pray more. Let's give prayer a more prominent place. Let's pray with greater faithfulness than we have before. Let's pray with greater fervency than we have before. You have a marriage problem. Have you thought to pray every day about that? Your mate isn't doing just exactly what you want him to do or her to do. You ever thought about just instead of badgering them or trying to control, just praying for them? You know, things that aren't the way that'll be. Maybe God has afflicted you or allowed you to be afflicted because he wants to give you something greater because you were knit to his heart by just praying all the time. What if God would give you a thorn in the flesh, an affliction of some kind, or an enemy, or a problem, because what you need most of all is to learn to pray. Maybe that's why God in my life doesn't do some of the things that I kind of like, God, why wouldn't you do this? And what if he's saying to me, because Ken, what I want is, I want a man who's a man of God who doesn't just talk his way out of problems, but gets on his face and asks me for his help over and over. I want to deepen your prayer life, and I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to touch what I have to touch in order to deepen your prayer. What if God is doing that to you? D. Duke, I talked to him this week. Okay, he starts a church in Oregon. He's a dairy farmer, and he started a church years ago in Oregon. And he worked really hard. His thing was hard work. He was a dairy farmer. If you know anything about that, you know it's just plain, consistent, hard labor. His thing was, I work hard. That's what we do. So he worked hard, and he built this church up to 200 people. When he got to 200 people, it split in half. That's painful. So now he's pastoring a church of 100, and he's brokenhearted. But he says, you know what I do? I work so he went back to work. He built the church back up to 200. You can, you can watch his talks online. He's giving some talks. Built the church back to 200. And then it split in half again. And he said, well, I'm not going to quit. And he went back to work and he built the church to 200 again. And again, it split three times in this little town in Jefferson, Oregon. The Jefferson Baptist Church went to 200 and split and went to 100. And then he said to his wife, I'm going to quit because I obviously don't have what it takes 
A friend of his says, well, we're going to have a prayer summit in Cannon Beach. Cannon Beach is right down the road from where our Holly lives right now. Beautiful place on the coast, the Pacific coast. Conference, Bible conference. He said, Joe Aldrich, who is the president, he's with the Lord now. He's the president of Multnomah School of Bible. He said, started a prayer summit, just bringing pastors together to pray. And the pastors that couldn't afford to go, they put them on a bus, they paid their way. He goes, well, I don't want to go to a prayer meeting, but I would like to go to Cannon Beach and walk the beach before I quit being a pastor. So he gets on the bus and he goes to Cannon Beach and he thinks, well, this is kind of lame to skip the sermon, so or skip the first session. So he goes, I'll go to the first session, I'll make an appearance, then I'm going to walk the beach, then I'm going to resign the church, then I'm not ever going to be a pastor again. So he goes into the prayer meeting and God gets a hold of his heart and convicts him and breaks his heart that he's been trying to do with hard work what only God can do through prayer. He goes back and today passes a church of a thousand people. It would be a lot bigger, but they've started 22 churches in Africa and eight churches in their local area. God profoundly blessed. He says to me, I talked to him on the phone this week, I had a long conversation with him. He says what he does is he's got the pictures of everybody's church on his iPad and he, and he scrolls through them every night. He has his church divided in seven and he goes through every night and he spends an hour praying for God's people. That has a ring of truth to it, doesn't it? What if every deacon, every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every neighbor started saying, I'm going to ask God to do what only God can do. If every mom started being a praying mom and every dad was a praying dad. What if the men in the church that struggle with lust would just cry out to God over and over again, God, deliver me from this lust and cleanse me and make me a pure man that loves you and loves my wife. What, what would happen in a church if that's what... This is why God gave me the vision of simple church. It's to go back and just have little prayer meetings. How can you miss? That's biblical, right? And this is what the grow group then... And we're going to launch grow groups again in the fall, right? And the grow group is the heart of simple church. It's just a Jesus cluster. It's just a, and the, and the heart of the grow group is what? What can you guess? Prayer. It's meaningful prayer. So what we're just saying is this, let's get together in little groups. You say, well, I'm busy. I get that. So, so you get with one person or two, or two people and you got a little triad or, or you or, or you have a prayer partner or you get, or come to a prayer meeting or you, you start a prayer meeting in the morning or in the evening or on the weekend or whenever, or on your break at, at work. And, and you, some of you have done this and, and thank you for that. And what would, would it be something? Will you join me in this? Will you join me and God pray for me and I'll pray for you. And I promise I'm serious about this. And I talked to the deacons on Thursday night. We talked about this. And I asked the deacons to hold me accountable. And asked me, you know, I'm going to pray for you with a greater intensity than I've ever prayed before. More frequently and more focused because I don't want to ask people to do something that I'm not doing myself. And I want to challenge you to pray too. And begin to ask God to do what only God can do. And in your life, you know that you need what only God can do, right? If you're married, if you have kids, if you're widowed, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're well, if you're sick, you don't have to think very long to realize, you know what? I really need what only God can do. And what is it that we depend on instead of prayer? That would be good to repent of that and to say, God, make me a real Bible Christian that, that prays. Now, t- today, you can respond in any way that the Holy Spirit puts upon your heart to respond. So I don't pretend I know how you're supposed to respond, but I want to give you another public opportunity for a public response, if you wish. You may always want to come 
And you may want to kneel and pray. We're going to sing a beautiful song that talks about our need in the Lord. And you may want to come and just pray and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I need you. And I'm going to come public. You may want to stay where you are and pray. You may want to come here and pray. We'll give you the opportunity to do that as we sing. You all come and lead us in a, in a closing song here. And then, there, and then for, for those of you that don't know the Lord, you know, I wouldn't leave the building until I was sure that heaven was my home and that Jesus was my Savior. You know, you, you don't have a right to talk to God unless Jesus intercedes on your behalf and his blood is between you and God. And, and, but today you could be a follower of Jesus. You could come to know him as your Savior and, and you could have your sins forgiven and you could have a place in heaven and you can know that you're a child of God. You could be adopted into the family. Francis Chan, the guy that was speaking, adopted a little girl. And she didn't get it. She was out of the foster care system and she'd been abused and she'd been from one home to another. So she didn't really get it when he said, we're going to adopt you. And she didn't really get it. So she's like, well, what's that mean? He goes, well, like, you see my daughter over here? You're going to be like her. You're going to have my name and you're going to have my things and you're going to have my love and whatever I have is yours and everywhere, everything you, you need, I'm going to try to just like our, my other daughter over there. <laughs> he said, when he was telling her that, he was overwhelmed with, uh, with the knowledge. That's what Jesus did for us. He brought us in a family and said, everything that's mine is now yours. I adopted you. So are you a child of God? Think, are you sure? So here's what we're going to do. When we sing and we're going to stand, and you can feel free to come and pray. I'm not going to badger you about it. You might want to come and just say, hey, Lord, here I'm here and help me in my faithfulness in prayer. I mean, you want to stay where you are, but you're, you're free to come today. But if you take my hand like right here, I'm going to assume that means you need somebody to give you counsel about how to be saved. Okay? Let's stand together as we're led in this final song.